Well, it is wonderful to be here. Um, the encouragement, I've probably said this to you before on a, maybe one or two occasions, but the encouragement has very much been a two-way street. We've been, our church has been in, around for, what, 25 years, something like that. And really until um, Josh came to town and your church, God built it, um, we were very lonely as a congregation, as pastors, but then as a congregation. And as he was saying, it's just exactly right. Um, knowing that there are, that there's another church that we uh, are so like-minded with um, in terms of not just doctrine, but life and how to care for people and what, you know, church should look like and the things that are important, the things that are not important, all that stuff. And just the sweet fellowship that we've had has been such a great relief to us. So thank you. Thank you very much. We thank God for you. So this morning I'd like to read Ephesians chapter 1. I'm not going to read, I'm not going to preach the whole chapter, but I want to read the whole chapter so that we can understand the part I am going to preach at, towards the end. And so, also, I'm preaching from the New American Standard. That's just what I'm in the habit of using. So I think you guys typically use the ESV, so there's going to be some differences. Actually, in this chapter, um, I agree, I'm going to disagree with the NASB in several places, and I'm going to agree with the ESV. So I should just be preaching from the ESV. Anyway, here we go. This is the word of the Lord. It's eternally true. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. To the end that we who are the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him 
with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this amazing passage of Scripture. And we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes truly to see it. And let this be to us what it truly is, not the word of men, but the word of God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, there are, you know, at least a hundred sermons in this chapter. And I'm only going to preach one. And it's starting in verse 15. Verse 15, after recounting all of these amazing blessings that we have in Christ, right? All, he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And he says this, For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. So what he's about to do here is pray for us. And this is amazing because this is a prayer of the Apostle Paul, but what else is it? It's Scripture. This is the Word of the Lord. This is inspired, God-breathed by the Holy Spirit of God. And so we have a prayer that's Paul's prayer, but it's the Holy Spirit's prayer too. Right? And so he's going to pray for them. He's going to pray for us. And look how he begins, verse 15. For this reason. Well, for what reason? What is he talking about? Well, the, thing, the first thing to see here is that this is a prayer for believers. This is a prayer for believers. Right? The, kind, the things he's going to pray for only apply, only are true of you, and, and you can have if you're a believer. So, what does he say for this reason? For this reason, he's going back to everything that he just said in the first part of Ephesians 1, right? He has talked about all of these amazing blessings that we have in Christ, and he's remembered this. The Holy Spirit has brought this to mind, and he's thinking about this, and he's thinking, that makes me want to pray for you. He wants to pray for them because they have these things. 
It's not just, uh, you know, we're, we tend to pray for people when they're in desperate need, uh, when they're doing poorly, when they have some kind of crisis of health or of faith, or of a struggle with sin. And when, and that's good, we should pray for, for one another in those times, but here he's praying for them because he knows how good God has been to them. So he says, for this reason too, I, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints. He's writing to believers. We know he's writing to believers because I've heard of the faith that you have. Down in verse 19, he talks about us who believe. Right? So he's praying for believers. But not just for professors. Okay, not just for people who profess faith. Not just for people who claim to have faith, but for people who truly believe. How do we know that? Because he says this, I've heard not only of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, but what else? Your love for all the saints. That love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So when he says, I've heard of your faith, he's not talking about a dead faith. You know how James talks about dead faith? What kind of faith is dead faith? Faith without what? Without works is dead. There is a kind of faith that you can say you have, right? But it's dead. It has no life to it. It doesn't work through love. As Paul says in Galatians, it's a dead faith. That kind of faith, James says, is useless. There's something else that James says. You have the dead faith, and there's another kind of faith in James. It's demon faith. Remember that? He says, you believe in God? Great. Great. You do well. But the demons also believe and they tremble. There's a kind of faith that's dead. There's a kind of faith that's demon faith. That is just some kind of an acknowledgement of facts. That is not true and living faith. So he's assuming here that the people he's praying for have true faith. That faith works itself out in love for the brothers, right? For, for all the saints. Not just for some of them. Not just for the ones that are um, just like me. Just like us. Right? One of the things that you know God is working in a church is when you have people who come together in a church that aren't all the same. It's easy to have a club where everybody's the same, right? That's the easiest thing in the world. That's how clubs work. We all have this one thing in common. We have some hobby, some interest. We have some kind of socioeconomic thing or whatever, but that's not how the church works. If that's what is going on in the church, then there's something wrong with that. Because in Christ, he he knits us together. All kinds of weird people knit together. Our church is really weird. (laughs) He knows. (laughs) 
And you just wouldn't expect those people to be together. I'm, I'm assuming it's true of you too. This love for all the saints. So he says this, verse 16, since I know this, since I've, I, I remember what God has done for you, I've heard of your faith, I've, I know it's true faith because I see your love. 16, because of all that, I do not cease giving thanks for you. Now just hold on to there for a second. What does that tell us about the faith and the love that they have, right? These are gifts of God. He doesn't say, good job, you have faith, you know? He, he doesn't thank them for their faith, he thanks God for their faith. Because faith is a gift. He says right across the page in chapter 2, by grace you've been saved through faith, And that is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of work, so that no man may boast. So he's acknowledging this comes from God. All of this fruit in your lives is a gift of God. And so every time I think of you, I I give thanks to God for you, and then I pray. Well, what kind of prayers does he pray? What kind of requests does he have? That starts in verse 17. He's going to tell us exactly what he's praying for and why, right? And there's really just a few main points here. Look at 17. Here's my prayer. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, he, of course, is the only true God. If your religion leaves out Jesus Christ, you are not worshiping the true God. He is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why Jews who have not embraced Christ do not worship the true God. Muslims who do not worship Christ, right, do not have the Father. It's a totally different God. The true God is the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, amazing names for God here, may give to you a spirit, I think the ESV gets it right here, the spirit, is that what it says? Capital S? I think that's right. This is talking about the Holy Spirit, right? The spirit, the Holy Spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So the thing he wants is that the the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would give something to you, give someone to you, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who kindles in us wisdom. Wisdom is not just a knowledge of the facts. Wisdom is um, the knowledge of the truth that that bears fruit in your life, right? Real wisdom and revelation. Revelation is the kind of knowledge that you cannot get just by looking around. <laughs> you know, this is, a, rev- this is a, a, a knowledge and a wisdom that comes from God. You cannot find it anywhere else. You can't find it by your senses. You can't find it just with your mind. It has to be given to you as a gift. This is why Paul is praying for these things, that God would give you the Holy Spirit who gives wisdom and revelation 
the knowledge of God himself. Right? This is what we need. This is what we need. He says in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So we all know that we have eyes in our hearts, right? What does that mean? It means, one way of putting it is this is your imagination. This is a sanctified, holy uh, imagination. God has given us the capacity, right, made in his image, to see things that we can't really see, to see things we've never seen. Just because we have to use our imagination to see them doesn't mean they're not real, right? There's all kinds of things in Scripture where he he describes things to us. He um, tells us of things that we have never, we cannot see yet, and yet we see them. This is what he's praying for. This is doing that, but oh well. He prays that we would see them. That, the, that God would throw the light switch on and that we would see. Right? See what? Or so what? For what end? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will what? Know. So that you will know. Now, there's all kinds of different kinds of, there are different kinds of knowledge, right? There's different kinds of knowledge. There's book knowledge. There's theory knowledge. There's knowledge of facts. Well, this is not those kinds of knowledge. Um, it kind of has to start there, but this is not that kind of knowledge. This is experience experiential knowledge. This is knowledge that is real and deep. This is not demon knowledge. Right? The demons know God. This is not that kind of knowledge. The devil knows God. This is not that kind of knowledge. This is deep, experiential, and personal. This is not book knowledge. Back uh, probably in the late 70s, maybe, Oh, my family, I am, I'm the youngest of four sons. We were on vacation in Florida. My oldest brothers are twins. They would have been probably Elijah's age. Elijah's like 13, all right? And um, we were on vacation in Florida. And my 13-year-old brother can somehow convinced my dad that he knew how to sail. Why? I read a book about it. Dad? So they rented a sailboat and went out in this harbor and almost died. I was too young to be on the boat. The boat was probably as big as those, that row of chairs. You know, those little tiny things. And so that's, you know, a certain kind of knowledge. I read it in a book. You know, this is not the, 
When you're, when you're getting your appendix out, you don't want the doctor to have that kind of knowledge, you know? Let's see, I, I read about this somewhere once. Let's see. Cut here, you know? Okay. Step two, you know? That's the kind of knowledge that is so easy for us as Christians to have and to be happy with. Um, it's the kind of knowledge that's so easy for children growing up in good, solid churches to have and to be happy with. Right? You young people who are growing up, you're being taught, you're, being, you're having the Word of God poured into you, and you know it, but do you know it? It's the difference between knowing truths in a book and knowing the truth. This is not book knowledge. This is not theory knowledge. Uh, you remember who Jonathan Edwards was. Jonathan Edwards was a pastor back in the, you know, few hundred years ago, 1700s, New England, first great awakening, you know, sinners in the hands of an angry God. When I went to public high, high school, we read that. I don't think that probably happens anymore. I don't know, maybe. Um, so he was a good and godly pastor. And here's how he put this. He has an image for this. He said, you can be like the, for, the world's foremost expert on honey. Honey, right? You can know all about honey. You can know that, that uh, bees do the little dance. You can know everything about the little dance. You can know how the little dance tells them where to find the flowers, and they fly to find the flowers, and they get the pollen stuck to their legs, right? And they bring it back, and they do something with it. The expert would know. They eat it and spit it out. I don't know. Sounds gross. And then they, they fill up these little things, you know, these little pockets, and then and you, you can get the honey out, and you can get it out of the comb and you can put it in a honey jar and you can put that honey jar on the, on the shelf and just be amazed at the honey, right? And you can be that expert on honey and never taste the honey. There's a, there's a kind of knowledge that is like that, right? Oh yes, I understand everything about this. Well, tell me what's it tastes like. I don't know. How would you know? How would you know unless you actually tasted it? That's the kind of knowledge he's talking, he's praying for. Taste knowledge, not demon knowledge, not book knowledge. Real experiential knowledge. And once you've tasted honey, how do you explain it? You don't. You just say, ah, here, just taste it. Then you'll know. That's the kind of knowledge that he wants us to have, that God wants you to have. Don't assume you have it just because you have a lot of information in your mind. So that you will know, God, I I want God to flip on the lights, open the eyes of our hearts, shine the light on us, so that you will know. We'll know what? Well, there's three things he wants us to know. Number one, what is the hope of his calling? Verse 18. So what is the calling he's talking about? What does he mean by your calling? He's not talking about your job, right? 
He's talking about your status as a Christian. Everything you have as a Christian. He's talking about everything that I just read to you from the beginning of chapter 1. Right? That, you, that God has given to you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's chosen you before the foundation of the world. He set his love on you. As long as God has been God, he's loved you. He's set his love on you. He is intended for you to be holy and blameless before him. He's adopted you as sons. He's given you his name. He's brought you into his family. He's redeemed you by the blood of Christ. He's forgiven your sins. He's lavished his grace on you. Poured it out richly without any kind of concern whatsoever for it being too much. You know, he's not stingy, but lavished it on you. He's made known the mystery of his will. He's, he's, he's brought us into the secret of what he's actually up to. What is he up to? He's summing up everything in Christ. Right? And we know it. We know what's going on. He's given us an inheritance. He's given us his Holy Spirit. Sealed us with the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to be a Christian. That, all of that is your calling. Okay? So what does he pray for? I pray that you will know deeply what is the hope of his calling. Think about hope. Uh, the way we use hope, the way we use that word, you know, I hope it doesn't rain. You know, I hope we win the game. I hope she says yes. You know, the way we use hope, uh, hope is synonymous with wishful thinking. looks like it's going to rain. I hope it doesn't rain. Wouldn't it be nice if it didn't rain? You know? I hope it doesn't rain. That's not this kind of hope. The hope that we have in Scripture always is never a wishful thinking kind of hope. It is as solid as Jesus Christ himself. Scripture says that Jesus Christ is our hope. Hebrews says this, Listen to this. This is Hebrews 6, verse, starting in verse 17. Just listen. It says, In the same way God, desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, this is God and God's word, right? Two unchangeable things, in which it's impossible for God to lie. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. An anchor of the soul. A hope both sure and steadfast. That's the kind of hope he's talking about. Bedrock, solid, certain knowledge and expectation that God will in fact keep his promises to me. How could he not? 
He's God. He cannot lie. He has sworn. He didn't have to. If God speaks, he doesn't have to say, no, really, I mean it, you know. I swear. But he did. So that our hope would not be wishful thinking. Josh read from 1 Peter just a minute ago about this hope. We'll come back to that in a second. So there's this hope of your calling. God wants you to know it. Certain, steady, solid, completely certain expectation. Everything he's promised to you is true. Number two, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Just look at that language. Just let that sink in for a second. There's an an inheritance. Whose inheritance is it? It says his inheritance. Okay? So what this, this is talking about Jesus Christ. The inheritance that we get is everything Jesus gets. And so he says, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. There's all kinds of things that we inherit. Promises. We inherit blessing. We inherit salvation. We inherit the kingdom of God. That's what scripture says. Everything that Jesus has coming to him, we have coming to us because we're in him. We're with him. And so we get everything he gets. Riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And that's what that passes in First Peter. Listen to this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope, so there's that hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's the inheritance. It's unfading. It's imperishable. It won't rot. It won't rust. It's reserved in heaven for us who are protected by the power of God. Do you know this? Does this have anything to do with how you live your life? The third thing that he wants us to know, verse 19. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? Look at those words. Let them sink in. He wants us to know, truly know, this crazy, over-the-top, great power. His power that's toward us who believe. Okay. What kind of power are you talking about? I don't feel very powerful. 
He tells us what kind of power it is in verse 19. Again, this is one of the places the New American Standard complicates it unnecessarily. He says, this power toward us who believe, that power is in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Wrap your mind around this. He's saying he wants us to know that power. This is the power that is ours. What kind of power? Well, resurrection power, right? The power that raised Christ from the dead. How much power did that take? A little bit of power. Not only raised him from the dead, it's resurrection power, it's ascension power, it, it raised him from the dead and seated him at God's right hand, and it's dominion power, right? Because it's the, it's the power by which he exercises dominion over all things. That, he says, is the power that is toward us, it's for us, it's working in us who believe. He wants us to know it, taste it, honey taste. So here's the thing. We live as if we are hopeless and impoverished and weak. We might have some kind of glimmer of these things he's talking about, but man, we feel hopeless, impoverished, and weak. But what? What is he saying in these, these prayer requests, okay? Is he praying, look very carefully, is he praying that God would give us hope? Does it say that God would give us the hope of his calling? Does it say that God would give us the inheritance? Does it say that he's praying that God would give us power? What is the prayer? It's that we would know these things. They are already yours. They're yours. The prayer is not, okay, God, these people are hopeless, impoverished, and weak, and they need something extra that, that you know, other Christians don't have. No. I just, I pray that they would see they would know. Our problem is not that we don't have these things, it's that we don't know and taste these things. But he wants us to know and taste these things. So we look at this and we think, you know, 
This is like, I don't know, this is some kind of super spiritual, you know, higher life kind of weird thing. I don't even get that. That's not where I live. That's just not where I live. I, I've, I'm dull and my heart is cold and I feel very weak in the face of sense. Right? I know. Me too. More importantly, God knows. And that's why he had the Apostle Paul pray this prayer and write it down. He knows exactly where you are. He knows that we, we most often feel hopeless, impoverished, poor, and weak. The reason why he prays this thing, prays these prayers for us. Here's what we're like. We're like um, the heir of the whole kingdom, right? That's what he says we are. We're like the heir of the whole kingdom, and we're down in this room, and it's dark, right? And we, all the lights are off, but it's and we're groping around, and we're feeling things. What's that? kind of feels like stone, maybe. I don't know. I can't see it. We're groping around, and it's all filled with all these stones or boxes or something. I don't know what this is. I must be in a dungeon. Yeah, because it's dark and... I feel stones and it's just weird. And so I must be in a dungeon. I'm groping around, feeling just things that I can't really tell what they are. And we conclude, oh, I must be in a dungeon. No, you're in the treasure house. The problem is not where you are. The problem is that you don't get it. The, eyes, the lights haven't been switched on. This is the truth. This is what we have. We have everything we need for life and godliness. It's right there. We don't need to be given it. It's ours. We need to see it. And then live out of it. So we live as if we are hopeless, impoverished, and weak. We are not. You are not. We also live as if this is the devil's world. Or, maybe to put more fine of a point on it, we live as if if this is the devil's town. I mean, it's Bloomington. This is why it's been so nice for us to have friends. Why am I saying this? Real quickly, look at the end of, end of the chapter, right? The power which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. What kinds of things are, are in subjection under the feet of Christ? The easier question is what things are not in subjection under the feet of Christ? 
Bloomington? No. All things. All things. Every judge, every leader, every president, every king, every emperor, every father. Everything. Everything. In subjection under Christ's feet. And he gave him his head over what? How many things? All things. And it says, to the church, and that means for the sake of the church. He is ruling over all things. Things that are pleasant, things that are not pleasant, right? All of it is under his command, under his authority. And he's orchestrating all of it for the good of his church. Even when it looks like things are going terrible for the church. He is not asleep at the switch. He's not off somewhere else doing something else. He is in charge of all things, all authority in heaven and on earth given to him. He is ruling for the good of his church. This is not the devil's world. This is Christ's world. All right. What do we need to do with this? What do we need to do with this? Well, we need to do what the Apostle Paul did, which is we need to pray. We need to pray that God would open our eyes, that we would know these things deeply. That's what we have to do. Clearly what we have to do. And what does Jesus say about prayer, right? If you ask anything according to the will of my Father, you will have it. Now ask, ask yourself a question. Is this, is this prayer, the things he prays for here, are these things in accordance with the will of God? Does God want you to have these things? The knowledge of these things. You already have them. Does he want you to have the knowledge of these things? Of course he does. Remember, this prayer, the prayer itself, is, is the inspired word of God. This is the, these are the words of the Holy Spirit through the, the Apostle Paul. This is the will of God. Of course it is. Okay? The prayer is the word of God. So it's the will of God. You can pray for this without any inkling of a hesitation that, I don't know, I, I'll just add at the end of my prayer, if it's your will, Lord. I don't really believe you'll give it to me. So if I add, if it's your will, then I can not feel so bad. When No, 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 no. You pray for these things, God will give them to you. The knowledge of these things. So we need to pray. Pray that you would know. Well, what about if you don't have true faith? Remember, 
is a prayer for Christians. People who believe. Faith is worked out in real love for your brothers. Okay? What if you don't have that? What should you do? You should pray. Faith is a gift of God. He will give it to you. Don't worry about all, how all that works. Just, just pray. Ask God to give you faith. Brothers and sisters, God knows what we need. Knows. Knows what you feel like. Knows the struggles we have. The good father and he's he's not stingy. He lavishes things on grace, power, hope. They're all yours. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, I do pray, as the Apostle Paul prayed, that you would enlighten our eyes. Father, we know we are dull and dead and cold and blind, and we confess that and ask you, Lord, to take those things away. Give us life, light, hope, power, power to fight our sins. Let us not be so proud as to think that our sins have met their match or that you have met your match in our sins. No. You are powerful enough to raise Christ from the dead. Father, please work in us. May we really taste these things. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.